welcome to the next great podcast. iHeartRadio's talent scouts have been on the hunt for the freshest, funniest, and most compelling voices out there. We've sifted through thousands of incredible entries. And now we're giving 10 lucky teams the chance to impress you. To help us crown the next great podcast, listen to these 10 pilots and then vote for your favorite at thenextgreatpodcast.com. Today, for your consideration, we present Development Hell by Saul Harris. This one is intriguing because it would pull back the curtain on a world most movie fans don't get to experience. And by focusing on films that didn't get made, there's so much great potential for never-before-heard stories from sets, studio meetings, everywhere. It's a sort of fun highbrow gossip that would also serve as a cautionary tale for what happens when big Hollywood egos get in the way of the creative process. So, without further ado, we present Development Hell. Hi, I'm Sol from Manchester, England, and you're listening to the pilot of Development Hell as part of the next great podcast competition from iHeartRadio and Tongle. You know that phrase, the tip of the iceberg? It refers to the notion that while we can see icebergs, we can't see all of them. The bit above the water accounts for only about 10% of the entire block of ice, with a staggering nine-tenths submerged beneath the surface, and completely out of view. Given Titanic's place as the highest grossing movie of all time for over a decade, prior, that is, to James Cameron beating his own record with the release of Avatar, it's fitting then that the iceberg makes a nice metaphor for Hollywood as a whole. Titanic and Avatar were pretty safe references for me to pull out just now. You've probably heard of these James Cameron movies, but have you heard of his other films? Doomsday Protocol, The Last Train to Hiroshima, and True Lies 2. If not, that's probably because they never actually got made. The list goes on, and that's just one filmmaker. Development Hell is the brand new podcast where I, your humble podcast host, am going to explore and uncover the often outrageous history of the world's most exciting and interesting unmade film projects. This week, we're taking a look at America's favourite family circa 1990. The Simpsons! Matt Groening's seminal animated sitcom redefined America's relationship with an entire medium. And rightly so! The Simpsons is just fantastic. Of course, they did finally get round to making the Simpsons movie, albeit 18 seasons deep into making the TV series, but it might surprise you to learn that that was far from the first attempt to get a Simpsons movie off the ground. The first Simpsons movie that never was, actually was made, just not as a movie. 1992's fan-favourite episode Camp Krusty saw the Simpsons kids Bart and Lisa attending the exciting new titular summer camp, promised to be a childhood paradise that they'll enjoy alongside their hero, Krusty the Clown. It soon becomes clear that the place is a scam, the conditions are dangerous, the kids are put to work in a sweatshop, and Krusty never turns up. David M. Stern was one of the first writers hired on the show, and he's been writing for the series on and off ever since. I spoke to him about his time writing Camp Krusty. I think by the time I pitched Camp Krusty, I do remember I had a whole uh, elaborate pitch, but the 
the original pitch was for Camp Mo. Oh, right. Would Camp Mo have been for Homer and the guys at the bar, or was it still for Bart and Lisa? Remembering that pitch in detail <laughs> would be difficult, but it was it was just that Mo had always dreamed of running a summer camp, you know, went off to create one, and it was a disastrous. <laughs> it was a similar concept. At the end of the pitch, one of them said, that's all good, but can we how about if we make it Camp Krusty? And I said, oh, yeah, that's a lot better. <laughs> so, so Camp Krusty was born. I wrote up that script. When we finally, you know, polished it up and took it to the uh, table, time was kind of tight, as I recall. And um, it just bombed. I mean, absolutely oh. <laughs> tanked. And uh, for whatever reason, we had one night to fix it. <laughs> So, you know, it was one of those situations. I mean, the writer's room was a small, a small claustrophobic room. It, I used to get anxious in there. I mean, it was three to a couch. If you showed up late to the room, you know, you got the middle, the middle seat and the couch. Was, <laughs> there, there was a promotional for Butterfingers. There were these crappy new candies that they had sort of sent in as, as a perk that were just sitting there. One of them got stuck to the ceiling, but another one got stuck on the back of the uh, one of the couch cushions, one of the middle couch cushions. And so if you got to the room late, you, uh, you had to sit on the, with the Butterfingers for possibly 12 hours, you know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that night, it went through a, essentially a page one rewrite in the room. And we were in that room until maybe uh, I, four o'clock in the morning, I'd say. It was wow. a late, late night and an anxious night. But I'll tell you, by the end of that night, everybody had fallen off of the couch laughing hysterically at some point, not Schwarzwelder. <laughs> the you know the next morning i feel like you know we brought it to back to the table in an emergency read and it just killed and um you know the rest is history we're still talking about it 30 years later but it came out of a certain giddiness that you only get to at about two o'clock in the morning of course it takes more than a writer to produce an episode of television i also spoke to mark kirkland the director of countless classic episodes of the show such as last exit to springfield behind the laughter and of course camp crusty now i first heard about camp crusty possibly being a feature i heard about that after we had done it from listening to Al Jean talk about it. It sounded like it was James L. Brooks' enthusiasm, which is a real good thumbs up if he's that excited about an idea. Upon viewing the finished episode for the first time, series executive producer, three-time Oscar winner James L. Brooks, was so impressed that he called the writers to pitch the notion of turning it into a feature film. Yeah, mm. I remember the day when he brought it up. I mean, I forget where we were exactly, but it kind of came up and everybody kind of looked at each other and like, oh... What do we, what do we tell him? <laughs> it's his show if he wants to do it. But you know, it was sort of gently knocked down. I mean, that, like I say, when you know the story of how we put that thing together in the first place. But listening to Al and I remember him talking about it. The show was underway. They had to fill the time slot, and the show came out short when we first made the animatic, and then they had to extend the song Hail to the Camp Krusty. It was a filler, and I do remember it was not in the original animatic. They needed more material, so Al has 
mused over what if this had been a feature. He goes, we felt we could barely fill the uh, 23 minutes then needed to stretch that into 80 or 90 minutes would have been a challenge. I mean, the Camp Krusty song was written after the rewrite room, but that was added for length. You know, it was, it came up, even though it scored, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a short, short show. So well, I mean, all, all you'd really have to do is add about 80 more verses onto that song. Yeah, and you right, release exactly. it as a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it ended, we had it as the premiere of, of season four, so that would have created a massive hole there. <laughs> there was no way we were going to be able to create a, you know, a full-length feature, but it was, uh, although I, I think we could have. I think it would have been a great movie, actually. I think they could do it. They, those guys can do anything. They are a think tank of really creative writers if they had flipped the switch and said, okay, put in another episode, sideline this, expand it. They just would have done that. And it would have been a lot of work, but uh, they waited many more years before they tackled a feature. If Camp Krusty had been extended and and turned into a movie, I mean, is there anything that jumps to mind if you had to pad it out to movie length now? Well, as I recall, there was a lot more to the summer vacation element of it before it even got to Camp Krusty. The the whole first act of that original script that tanked at the table, I think, had to do a lot with getting out of school and lollygagging around Springfield before they even took off. That that was where, you know, and it felt like padding at the table. It's probably why that first draft tanked. <laughs> I'm still clinging to my original first act. It's impossible to say what uh, a Camp Krusty feature would have been like, but yeah, it could have been done. If they had simply said, we're going to do it, they would have done it. You came back to the show to write a direct sequel episode to Camp Krusty a a good 25 years later, I think. How exactly did that come about? Well, just Al Jean called or wrote and asked me if I wanted to write one, pitch something out. So I threw out five ideas, just single liners, and Camp Krusty caught his eye and he said, great, let's do that. So I I pitched a, a whole elaborate concept which the original concept of Camp Crustier was for it to kind of pick up exactly where the old one had left off (laughs) you know Bart coming home traumatized Uh, just a continuation a real sort of Mm. part two but uh, Al's about the most humble modest man you'd ever meet considering he's been the mind behind this show for Mm. so so long Uh, but I think he sort of felt like yeah he wasn't sure if people would even remember it or you know (laughs) get the joke um, which I think was incorrect but it ended up being sort of a very different episode off of a a B story that Jim Brooks himself had pitched it's still fun to uh, revisit that that craziness 20-25 years later but enough about Camp Krusty that is just one of many Simpsons movie could have beens speaking to Entertainment Weekly in 2017 Al Jean and series director David Silverman who by the way ultimately did direct the Simpsons movie revealed that another idea that was briefly discussed was a movie version of the show's annual Treehouse of Horror Halloween specials. That would be a that would be a great film. I'd love to see that. Hope mm. they hope they put it together one day. It's still possible. Yeah, the I, I is mean, still built. <laughs> 
Historically, these episodes, which are made up of three small, non-canon horror stories, are very highly regarded among fans and bring in excellent broadcast viewing figures. So it makes sense, especially as if there's one common complaint about these episodes, it's that the seven-minute runtime that each segment is confined to doesn't allow much room to breathe. A feature-length version would address those issues, although, on the flip side, a movie made up of three half-hour stories might just feel like you've been conned into watching three episodes of the TV series back to back in the cinema. Still, it sounds as though this idea was never anything more than some writers thinking out loud. Something which was also true of Simpstasia, a Fantasia parody featuring Simpsons characters that Matt Groening was interested in producing. That was actually talked about, like, as when I was there. That was the voice of Bill Oakley, another writer of many classic Simpsons episodes, and co-showrunner, alongside Josh Weinstein, for the seventh and eighth seasons of the series. For those of you not in the know, those seasons are pretty universally regarded as two of the very best that the show has to offer. Simpstasia, which presumably would have consisted of a series of short films featuring the Simpsons characters with minimal, if not zero, dialogue and set to classical music, runs into a lot of the same issues that a Treehouse of Horror movie would have done. It's arguably a great concept, but it's also, perhaps, one with limited commercial appeal when compared to a broad, mainstream Simpsons movie. The thing is, I don't think anybody thought, like, I don't think it ever got beyond that. It was like, Matt would would say, like, oh, we should make a Simpsons movie, and people would go, oh, that would be cool, and that would be the end of the discussion, at least as far as I knew. At the time of recording, 686 episodes of The Simpsons have been released, and without wanting to be critical of the show's current state, there are signs that perhaps the show's writers struggle to come up with 22 new ideas for episodes each year. There are now two separate episodes, for example, where the core premise is Marge goes to jail. With that in mind, it's very surprising that Simpstasia was never produced, simply as an episode of the series. It seems like it would work very well. So who knows, maybe Groening is keeping the concept back, just in case they are ever able to get a Simstasia movie off the ground. Still, as Groening explained in one of the show's many DVD commentaries, the idea of writing an episode, or indeed a feature film, consisting almost entirely of stage directions, isn't something that's going to appeal to many writers. Those of you familiar with the current glut of superhero movies are also likely familiar with the idea that Hollywood works in phases, producing countless movies that fit a perceived trend until the idea is burnt out and people stop paying to see them. It happened to slasher movies in the 90s, it happened to zombie movies in the early noughties, and hopefully it'll happen to Disney's remakes of its animated classics before they produce a live-action version of The Three Caballeros. Speaking of live-action adaptations of cartoons, there was a wave of these in the 90s too, with the likes of 1994's The Flintstones, 1995's Casper, 1996's 101 Dalmatians, and so forth. Back then, there seemed to be a strange notion that if you made a movie based on a pre-existing cartoon, it had to be live-action to justify the leap to cinemas. As such, for a while, there was a general sense in the zeitgeist that if The Simpsons ever made a movie, it would have to be live-action. Phil Hartman, who you might remember from voicing such Simpsons characters as Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure, was reportedly very interested in this approach, speaking many times about his desire to make a live-action Troy McClure movie. I remember talking about it with him, and that seems like something that could have happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't imagine that that would have been theatrically successful, but it would have been super fun. The character is, despite an implicit predilection for fish, arguably one of the most grounded residents of Springfield. 
so it makes sense that he could perhaps lead a toned-down version of The Simpsons, produced without animation. From Hartman's point of view, it would also, of course, have meant a lead role in a movie, which would understandably have been very appealing. As incredibly talented as Phil Hartman was, he wasn't exactly established as a Hollywood lead man. It sounds like this is an idea that may well have actually been produced if things had gone just a little bit differently. Hartman had the full support of the show's writing staff. Josh Weinstein went so far as to propose the notion that the film could be based loosely on the plot for the episode A Fish Called Selma, in which McClure and Marge's sister Selma enter into a sham marriage for the sake of boosting his career's PR. Said episode ends with with Troy McClure embarking on the production of a passion project, the contrabulous fabtraption of Professor Horatio Huffnagel. Weinstein's idea was perhaps that the movie could follow the production of this film. If we had done it, we probably would end up making a really short film, like a tra- like trailer, a series of Troy McClure trailers, you know, or things like that. I can't imagine that it would be, that somebody would want to invest a lot of money in a full-length Troy McClure movie because it's a, he's always best in small doses with, and sometimes even just the titles of the movie. But it would be, it would have been hilarious. And I remember that was, that was one of the few ones that I was actually involved in. Sadly, this project was stopped cold following Phil Hartman's tragic murder in 1998. God, what a loss. Crazy loss at that. Phil was genius. Yeah, he he had such an an amazing range of comedic voices that we all loved him. So they retired the character Troy McClure. They just simply said, okay, Mm. we can't really do this. Oh, also Lionel Hutz. For any fans of Matt Groening's other show, Futurama, out there, you might be interested to know that the character of Zap Brannigan was also written for Hartman to play. Following his death, the show's lead character, Fry, was given the first name Philip in his honour. Let's put a pin in movies for a while. TV series also need to be developed, and therefore they can also languish in development hell. And that's also relevant to The Simpsons discussed more frequently was a spin-off was spin-offs of the show mm. like we're not movies but at least two different spin-offs got onto the drawing board you know and that's like that's what well, that's the kind of thing people were thinking about at least in that era and i don't think that the mm. tv show adaptation really became i think south park probably was the one that at least as far as i recall made people realize that was possible yeah i mean what what were the spin-offs i i've heard about a teen homer one and uh 22 short films about springfield one uh, those um, are all the was, sa- that's all the same one there were two different right. ones one was the crusty show which was actually i think a script was actually written and this was like in the first really? or second this was like this was before i got there so it was like 1990 there was also discussion of doing crusty as live action, uh, having Dan Castellaneta do <laughs> Krusty as if it were kind of a bozo TV show. Well, like Krusty's TV show, but it never went anywhere. We met the guy who wrote it and worked with him briefly. I think it was a live action show that was like a parody of like, you know, Bozo or whatever and about Krusty in his real life, but I don't know whatever happened to it. Or maybe they never actually wrote the script, but at some point it was nominally in development. And the other one was the Springfield, which is the one that you're talking about, which was basically like 22 short films series. It was going to be a, a whole bunch of things about the world of Springfield and other characters minus the Simpsons or the Simpsons would play a minor role. And that actually me and Josh worked on that with Matt. It could have actually happened except that Brooks didn't like it, didn't, didn't like the idea. He never, he apparently never seen 22 short films and then he saw it and he was like yuck i don't like this at all and then that was the end of it well that's a shame i think that would have been really cool well, i think you know his <laughs> thing is that the show is about his thing is that the show is about the family and without mm. the family you have no and that's you know he's a genius 
so I wouldn't want to go against him uh, in things like that. But I think that like, I think the show could have still been really good. I will say the only thing that I discussed that wasn't a Simpsons movie that I really wanted to see recently was I wanted them to make, did you guys ever see The People versus O.J. Simpson? Yes, yeah, yeah. American Crime Story. Yes, drama yes, thing. yes. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I, I think, pitched, and I pitched this to Dan Graney, who I thought could maybe make it happen. For the 20, 40th anniversary of Who Shot Mr. Burns, I was pitching them they should do a live action <laughs> Who shot Mr. People versus uh, Mr. Montgomery Burns? They exactly like a half hour, a 20 minute episode, entirely live action, which is the, re- you know, basically using the format of the People versus O.J. Simpson to tell who shot Mr. Burns as this vintage crime story. Um, in any case, I don't think he was able to get it <laughs> going because it never showed up. But back to movies. Up until this point, no Simpsons movie projects had gone further than optimistic chatter. You fill a room with a dozen great idea people, you're mm. going to get a lot of ideas. <laughs> And they, and that's their job is to pitch and think, and they do. They and they're fast, and I have watched them do it. And it's like they just shoot them out like one idea after another. So none of these ideas surprise me. I believe it all. To be honest, I don't think anyone at The Simpsons in the 1990s ever seriously thought about making a Simpsons movie. The just making the show consumed all night and all day of everyone's lives, and there was no serious discussion of it because it, how could it possibly happen? But in 2001, the show's cast all officially signed on to lend their voices to a Simpsons movie, whatever form it ultimately would take. 20th Century Fox had an options with our actors that voiced The Simpsons, and they were going to lose an option on a feature. And so it kind of stimulated them to say, well, do you want to lose this? No, we don't want to lose this. We're going to, if we don't do it this year, we're going to lose an option and we're going to lose one of our features. So I understand it had to do with something like that. Al Jean, speaking to ComingSoon.net in 2007, said, One thing that was difficult was we just didn't have the manpower. In the beginning of the show, we had eight writers and five directors, and there was no way we could have done a show and a movie simultaneously. We talked about maybe doing a movie after the show had ended, but the show will never end. Initially, the plan was for the movie to be produced by the same staff working on the TV series concurrently. On average, the show produces 22 episodes a year, and each one of those takes a solid 7-8 to months to make. Obviously, there aren't quite 176 months in the year, so in order to accommodate those numbers, there are typically 12 episodes of The Simpsons in production at any given time. And the idea was for the movie to be added into that mix, splitting the staff's time between writing and animating those episodes with the production of a movie, a monumental undertaking. And this, remarkably, was how the movie started out, taking advantage of any gaps in the schedules the show's makers could find. When The Simpsons did the feature, it was a real challenge. It was done fast, and they threw everything they had at it, and there was a lot of rewriting and shaping the material to get it done. And uh, the whole time everybody was on it, there was a fear of, like, can it even be done? Can Can we even meet this deadline? The only reason the movie got this far is because the producers were able to work out a very specific and unusual contract with 20th Century Fox, whereby they could nix production at any given moment should they feel that the film wasn't going to be good enough. Ironically, some would say, given the show's output for the last two decades, they felt that there was no point in producing an inferior product that would tarnish its reputation, and Fox, presumably, realising that it was this or nothing, agreed to their terms. As David Silverman put it when speaking to the New York Times in 2007, the fact that we could say no meant that we never had to. Al Jean in that same interview remarked, At the beginning we wanted to keep the idea that we were doing it a secret, because we weren't sure. 
We didn't want it to get out if we changed our minds and thought it wasn't worth doing. Ultimately, a second unit consisting of additional animators and other crew were hired to realise the project. Notably, this was used as an opportunity to reassemble a sort of greatest hits of writers consisting of as many of the staff working on the show in its prime as possible, many of whom having left the series at this point. But when they did it, I believe they basically had two separate staffs. They had the staff that was writing the show, and then they had the staff that was writing the movie that was comprised mainly of guys who, the original staff of the show, like Schwarzwelder and VD and, and Mike and Al. And I think that Al and maybe Ian Maxwell Grant, like only two or three people worked on both at the same time. And I understand that it basically, it nearly broke the animators uh, and it nearly, it nearly caused the whole system to collapse from anecdotes I have heard. The first official brainstorming session for the movie took place in 2003. One early idea pitched by Al Jean saw The Simpsons rescuing manatees, which was ultimately used as the plot for a 2005 episode, Bonfire of the Manatees. Another idea took a more meta approach, with the family realising their entire lives were a TV show, finding out that they had been secretly recorded for an in-universe reality series, akin to The Truman Show or that episode of the 1980s Twilight Zone revival. Graining, who you might be surprised to learn, has often been one of the staunchest supporters of keeping the show grounded, rejected this idea, stating that The Simpsons should, quote, never become aware of themselves as celebrities. Mike Scully, yet another of the show's former showrunners, pitched the notion that Steven Spielberg, playing himself, would come to Springfield to shoot a Tom Hanks movie, production of which would involve blowing up the town. Obviously this went through a hell of a lot of development, but it is essentially the earliest draft of what was turned into the Simpsons movie. While Tom Hanks actually made it through to the final product, Spielberg was swapped out for Hank Scorpio, a fan favourite character who, at this point, had appeared in precisely one episode of the show, You Only Move Twice, an episode that routinely tops greatest episode of all time polls and critics lists alike. Hank Scorpio was voiced by Albert Brooks, a longtime friend of the show. To date, Brooks has voiced a total of six characters across seven different episodes, so it made sense for him to also be involved in the movie. According to the Simpsons movie commentary, he signed on to reprise the role, reportedly for about a week, at which point his character morphed into something new, the fictional head of the EPA, Russ Cargill. At one point, the movie was also allegedly going to be a musical, which makes sense. Many movies based on animated TV shows do use this approach, partly because it helps pad their running time to feature length in an organic, justified way, and partly just because it offers something different to what you get in a typical episode of the series on television. However, despite these reports, it only seems as though the movie was actually intended to include two songs. One entitled Springfield Saturday Night was supposed to open the film with scenes of adults partying, followed by the resulting hangovers the following morning. It was cut following negative test screening reactions and because the staff felt that it didn't contribute to the story. Another song, this one written by Dave Stewart of Eurythmics, was supposed to punctuate the family's arrival in Alaska, but again was ultimately cut despite being largely animated, again after the staff became concerned that it dragged. Ultimately, the Simpsons movie was released in 2007, to a generally positive reaction from critics and audiences alike. It currently holds a very respectable 7.3 out of 10 rating on IMDb, and an even more respectable score of 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. But our story doesn't stop there. Maggie Simpson herself teased a sequel during the end credits of the movie. The show is still on the air. In fact, it's gearing up for its 700th episode this season. But back in 2012, an episode was produced, intended to air the following year, only to be yoinked from the schedule. 
The Man Who Came To Be Dinner was ultimately held back two years until it finally aired in 2015. In the run-up to its release, then and current showrunner Al Jean revealed that they had been holding the episode back because, much like with Camp Krusty, the show was being considered for adaptation into a sequel to the Simpsons movie. Unlike with Camp Krusty, however, this seemed to be considered far more seriously. Not only did it cause the two-year delay of an episode of the show, but whereas Al Jean had quickly shot down any notions of a Camp Krusty movie, he was, as the showrunner and the writer of The Man Who Came To Be Dinner, in a position to actually make such decisions. The episode heavily features the characters of Kang and Kodos, who usually only appear in the non-canon Halloween specials. With the plot seeing the family abducted by aliens and transported to another planet, it was controversial among fans for its world-breaking scope, but easy to see why it was earmarked with cinematic potential. It was, apparently, this total lack of realism, not to mention the fact that, spoiler alert, the episode ends with the family's memories being erased, that partly led to them deciding to ultimately not turn it into a movie. As Gene himself put it in a 2015 interview promoting the episode with Entertainment Weekly, we were worried that people might think it's an idea that's not canonical. It doesn't really happen, unlike all of the other 560 episodes that really happened. So the ultimate decision was to air it as an episode. The episode ultimately aired as part of season 26, and perhaps it not getting transformed into a movie was for the best, given that it met with mixed reviews and a not particularly positive audience reaction. Dennis Perkins of the AV Club, for example, wrote, An episode like The Man Who Came To Be Dinner is a product of such slapdash breezy disregard for what makes The Simpsons The Simpsons that it functions as a dispiriting signpost to the show's hastening irrelevance. It's hard to know quite what the thinking was with this, and indeed Camp Krusty. Were they planning to throw out the episode that had been produced and reanimate it, along with an additional hour of material? Were they planning to make a film with 22 minutes of animation produced to a lower standard and in a different aspect ratio than the rest of the film? Sadly, I wasn't able to arrange a proper interview with Al Jean within the production window I had for this podcast, but I did reach out to him for clarification on this specific topic. When asked if it would have meant throwing out the episode and starting from scratch, he told me it would have meant, quotes, more than that. It would need a full 90-minute story and a full exploration of life on Rigel 7. Rigel 7 being the alien home planet. So it does indeed sound like such a movie would have started with a page one rewrite and about $2 million worth of animation being flushed down the toilet. In 2014, James L. Brooks revealed to The Hollywood Reporter that, perhaps unsurprisingly, Fox had approached him and requested another. In his words, when asked about developing a new movie, we've been asked to, but we haven't. In 2017, David Silverman reported that a sequel was in the early stages of development, but stressed how hard the production of the first one had been. An official announcement of the sequel's development came the following year, in 2018, alongside a slew of other movies based on Fox animation properties, such as Bob's Burgers the Movie, which would have been released by now were it not postponed until 2021 due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. In all likelihood, this announcement was likely less of a sign that things were finally happening, and more of an attempt from Fox to make themselves seem as financially appealing as possible, while the negotiations for their acquisition by the Walt Disney Company were taking place. And on that note, The Simpsons is now owned by Disney, who love making money. It probably means that a second Simpsons movie is closer to happening than it's ever been before. I'm pretty sure there will be another one, and I've heard 
you know, I've heard they're working on it. You know, there's a hungry public for mm-hmm. it. You know, it was very profitable. And usually that's how they're almost assured to make their money back. And, and then a lot if they make a Simpsons second movie. So it just makes sense to do it. The Simpsons are still so popular. It would make a lot of people happy to do it. So I'm pretty sure that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time and when. To Matt Groening, Al Jean, and everyone else involved, if you're struggling for ideas, then I suggest that given the similarities between the 2009 Stephen King novel Under the Dome and the plot of the Simpsons movie two years prior, maybe you should just rip off the plot of Stephen King's latest book. He's dependable, and he owes you one. Thanks for listening to Development Hell. I'd also like to extend a huge thank you to this episode's guests, David M. Stern, Mark Kirkland, and Bill Oakley. Mark is currently working on a new Fox series, Housebound, and Bill Oakley is developing a spin-off of his series, Mission Hill. Find him on Twitter and Instagram at ThatBillOakley. The theme tune you heard at the start of this was Tumbleweed Town by River Run Dry. And pretty much everything else for this episode, the producing, writing, editing, etc., was courtesy of myself, Sol Harris. Until next time...